0: Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, a Full Mind production. At FullMind, our vision is to ensure every child has access to an exceptional education. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Kaylee Spierabauer. Welcome back, everybody, to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. I am incredibly honored today to introduce you to our guest, Talia Milgram-Elcott, the founder and executive director of Beyond 100K. Welcome, Talia.
1: It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I am so excited you're here. You are another esteemed recommendation of Ellen Sherratt. And I have to say, getting to meet you briefly the other day really inspired me, the work that you're doing, uh, and really your career thus far. I'm excited for you to share with everybody listening here today.
1: Well, I'm so glad to be here and to share what I've learned and experienced and to keep learning with you.
0: I love that. Forever Learners. That's like a perfect theme for an education podcast, always learning. Oh, so yeah, I'm going to ask you my opening question, which is the question I ask all my guests. You can get as deep as you feel comfortable getting. How did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself?
1: It is such a deep question. So we're we're recording. It's early September and in the Jewish um, calendar and in the school calendar, the year is starting. So I, I always love this time of year. I have three girls. Who have all just started school here in New York City, um, and the Jewish high holidays are coming. So there's this time of reflection. So I've that got reflection deep in me, and new starts, and like, it's what do I everywhere. want to take from the right, and what do I want to take from the old year and bring into the new one? Who am yeah. I, you know, and all all those great questions. So I would say that I am the daughter and granddaughter of teachers, um, in the broadest sense. Um, teachers and rabbis, but in the Jewish tradition, rabbis are really teachers. My mom and my grandfather were both rabbis, and all my and my dad and my other grandparents were all teachers. My grandmother, who's still alive, is a teaching artist. Um, she's in her mid 90s and still making art. And so I, I think I had deep inside me this sense of uh, the limitless potential, really, of every human, and the The role that a great teacher can play in unlocking that potential. So I'd say like that combination is so deep in in me and in who I am and in how I see the world that I I really believe in abundance. I believe that we have everything that we need on this planet to nurture and sustain all of us and to solve all of our challenges, but that we don't uh, treat everyone that way. We don't create an environment in which everyone can flourish, in which everyone can give of themselves and uh, fulfill fulfill themselves in a way that contributes to our community, to our country, to our planet. And so that that sense of, I would say, like, limitless potential, um, this sort of orientation toward abundance and the belief that teachers can unlock that potential for students, like that combination is, is pretty – Pretty powerful for me, and um, you can really trace almost everything I've done. From, uh, you know, really as early as high school, working in tutoring with kids. Um, I spent a year working in the youth village with kids from all around the world. Um, I went to law school in the hopes of sort of solving challenges, uh, and then came to realize that by the time lawyers saw problems, they were so fully blown. Um, and so fully like complicated that I wanted to get closer to that root to that that spark that happens with a great teacher and a child so I've been working in education ever since
0: what an incredible lineage of people helping young ones and even adults to increase their understanding curiosity they're even like expanding their potential with the education that they've provided that's Sounds like a truly impressive family, Talia.
1: I feel really lucky to have been sort of nurtured inside of a space that was always thinking about uh, like how, what our role in partnership and to transform the world, that the world could be a meaningful and good place. That humans were, I think, really innately good if we can provide an environment in which people can could live out that potential.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this idea that teachers can unlock so much for children. How does that play into the work that you do today? And how do you feel like, or what do you feel like is working to allow teachers to have that powerful ability right now? And what is Yeah, it? working and not working. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, well, exactly. well I, I, I insist on real
1: talk. I'm also a, a legacy for my parents and grandparents. So we'll be real with each other. I think that first question you asked goes to something I was saying earlier about that, um, that we have all the solutions we need or we have at least all of the capacity for the solutions we need. We actually don't have all the solutions we need, but we have all of the innate capacity to solve our biggest problems. But I would say like the most important role that I think teachers have right now is to unlock for students the sense that they are essential to solving our biggest challenges, that they have something unique con- to contribute to solving those biggest challenges, and they have a role to play. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about how there's a like a really a crisis of despair among young people. Um, I'm the mom of three girls who are 11, 13, and 15. I see it I see that like fear in them, in their friends, in our community and, you know, just everywhere in the news that there's a sense of like, is the world getting worse and is there, are the other problems too big? And I think that schools are an incredible place and teachers are the right people to be able to say to kids like these problems are big, but they are not too big for us. They're not too big if we work together, if we each give from ourselves to something that needs us. And then to complement that with the tools, you actually need to know some stuff to be able to create new forms of batteries or energy or fuel sources uh, to solve, to create vaccines or address pandemics. Like you need to know some things. So there's a combination of agency, that these problems are solvable if we work together and each contribute from our own genius and the hard tools, the the math skills, the science skills, the, the curiosity, the 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 problem solving that will need to um, come to the fore. So, like that combination is the, I think, this like unique moment and role for teachers and schools. Um, I also would say I don't see a lot of spaces where teachers are supported to be doing that, and especially coming out of a pandemic, with the you know justified concern about the learning loss that students have had. Um, The challenges of an economy that's coming up in front of them, this like uh, mandate that I think a lot of teachers are feeling to double down on the basics, to, you know, drill, to push out the other stuff that feels maybe like fluff but it is actually essential. The stuff that like sparks curiosity, that gives you a sense of wonder and awe that connects you to each other, to an adult who cares about you. Those things are so important. And I'm not seeing a lot of places where teachers are being supported to lean in to that part of what it means to be a teacher, that connection. Uh, but when we listen to students' stories recently, we ran something called The Uncommission. You can find out more about it at theuncommissioned.org. Uh, We listened to students tell us their stories. We asked them to tell us any story they wanted about science, technology, engineering, or math. And what almost all of the students talked about, surprising to us, was about whether they felt like they belonged or didn't belong in their classrooms. And so often when they felt like they belonged, it was a teacher who did that. And it was the belonging that predicted their interest in and perseverance in STEM.
0: That is so powerful. That is like the the immense impact beyond just the learning that occurs within a classroom, right? These skills that are acquired, but the true feeling of belonging, which any human can identify with when it's missing, especially acutely, can I probably recognize was a determinant of the majority of students' well-being. And that, that is, that's pretty like chill-inducing, Talia.
1: That's how we felt when we learned about it. Actually, it's interesting. We had um, data scientists and ethnographers reviewing all the stories, more than 600 of them, majority from young people of color. And they came back to us with the data and they were a little nervous. I think they thought that we were expecting them to find some like hard evidence around maybe curriculum or a certain kind of pedagogy uh, or something about like biology or engineering or algebra. And instead, what they found was this insight around belonging. And we had the same response. It gave us chills. And I feel like as someone who's been in the education space for practically 20 years now, actually, it came. I came to wonder if maybe the missing ingredient to so many of our efforts around rigor and access, the missing ingredient maybe was belonging all along. That rigor and access absent belonging just didn't lead to change. But when kids knew they belonged and were supported with rigor and access, then amazing things were possible.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the importance here of belonging and the innate fact or the the known fact that you have right on the Beyond 100k website, that STEM is a pretty exclusive field. And Black, Latinx, and Native Americans represent only 24% of the STEM workforce. I think it's a little bit of a jump from the conversation around belonging in the classroom, but obviously not a completely disconnected conversation. Um, Why is this so important? Why does it have like a, a central place on the landing page of Beyond 100K and how are you working to address this?
1: I actually think it is um, like yin-yang it's like two parts of the same story and part of the power of listening to young people of color who have been most excluded from STEM opportunity not just in schools but all the way through the workforce um, and talking to them about STEM a subject that has exclusion in its DNA that when you when you listen from the edges like that, you hear something that can ripple through and be true for almost universally. And that was our experience in this insight around belonging. That this um, this feeling I don't belong here, I can't succeed here. <laughs> Excuse me. And you can literally hear students use those words like, I was, you know, I was told I could never, I I, I could never be good at math. Or I would, was told I would never succeed because I had gotten the bad test grade. Or from uh, Brendan, a young man from Pittsburgh who told us that every year in his advanced math and science, math classes, in his advanced math classes, he was the only African-American. And his teacher or the students or both would turn to him and say, are you sure you're in the right class? So kids who were literally told they don't belong that without, with that experience, like you, you internalize that. You don't believe you belong. And you don't believe you can succeed. And so how would we expect to have a workforce that reflects the full power and diversity of our country if we don't have opportunities for young people to learn, to know they belong, and to be pushed and supported to succeed in STEM? And then how would we ever think we can solve our biggest challenges if only a tiny fraction of all of the amazing human potential in this country ever has the chance to go and solve those challenges.
0: I appreciate the, the um, anecdotal stories that you shared, but also the grand picture of the impact holistically limiting or even not considering full, the full population of, you know, brilliance and talent that exists has on our country. Right? You know, the unfortunate fact that I often remind people is it's a backward little twist of fate that we live in a capitalist society that depends so deeply on the the individual contributions of its members and yet isn't willing and often is designed not to support marginalized populations, systemically oppressed populations in achieving their greatest potential through like systematic methods of inclusion and promotion
1: and support. Totally, as Heather McHee says in her book, The Sum of Us, if we're so much greater together and we need everyone to contribute to these problems, yet we've designed our schools to, and really like all the way through, to believe that only some of us can succeed. Uh, people who went, who were in introductory math and science classes will tell you that professors say students on the first day, look to your left and look to your right, only one of you will be here by the end of the year. This sense that somehow there's a limited uh, reservoir of potential in STEM and that we need to just find those people and support them versus nurturing a much wider base to flourish and succeed, it is baked in. Uh, Everyone who is teaching in STEM has experienced that on the other end. Tons of people with potential and interest have been pushed to the sides. And we will need to rewire that part of our DNA to support and enable all of our future problem solvers to have the experiences and the skills that will allow them to be the problem solvers our future needs.
0: So yesterday, I'm just realizing you were the author of the Forbes piece that I just read that came out about teacher shortages and if they're turning around. And your answer, as it says in the title, is the surprising answer is yes. I think I skipped the byline, which is like terrible. Uh, I didn't realize you wrote this. Let's talk about that article because right now, everybody loves to talk about the teacher shortage, myself included. Uh can you summarize for folks who may not have had eyes on your article that was published yesterday, uh, what your opinion here is and why you why you feel that way?
1: Well, there are some uh, really interesting early data coming out of the Department of Education that looked at teacher preparation programs across the country, starting in 2019, actually. I mean, they've been looking at them every year. But starting in 2019, we have been seeing a uh, pretty consistent uptick in enrollment in teacher preparation. They're seeing it in the majority of states, 37 states and DC. They're seeing it across types of programs. So in traditional universities, as well as alternative teacher preparation. So there are reasons to be hopeful. We are seeing, I I actually think this is connected uh, to the great resignation and the sort of forces that are driving Younger people to choose careers of meaning. I think we have seen what the world looks like, and people want to be part of making it better. And teaching is a very concrete and powerful, transformative way to do that. So that's that's the good sign, the good news, uh, and worth like just celebrating because for a decade before that, uh, teacher preparation programs were in decline. So this is that this is the first and market uptick, even though uh, it is, you know, it is still the case that we have fewer people enrolled in teacher preparation programs now than we did ten years ago.
0: But we can't just be focused on absolutes. We have to be thinking about like you're naming. There's a there's the first time there's a change. I love that you're paying attention to that. Yeah. I think it's important to call out.
1: It is. So it's it's amazing. First time there's a change. I think it it is like. It is tapping into something real and palpable that young people um, are feeling, which is they want to be part of changing the world. They want to, uh, someone someone said to us something really beautiful to me when I was uh, preparing the article, which is the young people want to be offering to students what they didn't have themselves. And so we're really seeing that it's driving young people across the board It's driving um, young people of color to go into teaching. The the cautionary piece is that we actually have enough people in our pipelines who start, who are interested in teaching, to fill all of the vacant seats we have. The question will be, can we keep them? Can we um, support them through the process of becoming a teacher by making it financially affordable, by giving them supports when things get hard, by helping them to learn the subject areas that are most in demand? science, math, special education, English language learning uh, that will be the ones that will guarantee them jobs, but also really fill those empty seats. Like those are questions for the system. But what I think we're seeing here unmistakably is that young people are voting with their feet to say that teaching is a place and a career that will help them to contribute and feel like their, their lives, their professional lives are meaningful.
0: I love a trend, even an early one, right? Because the early one is an indicator of some changing of tide. I I six percent is is, I believe if I read the original Chad Alderman article on 74 million, if I read it correctly, it was about it was statistically significant enough to like really sink our teeth into and know that hopefully change is coming. I, you know, I also what I read yesterday, I published an article by Jessica Gross, who's like a, a New York Times contributor, parenting writer, but she was quoting the Matt Kraft, um research out of Annenberg about that was published in the spring regarding the declining interest in the profession of teaching and the, like the, the attitudes around teaching are at an all-time low. I feel like in some ways the information is conflicting.
1: I think it is conflicting, and I actually think that um, sometimes... Uh, person like opinion lags reality and so we're definitely seeing some data that's been widely reported that for the first time the majority of parents aren't recommending teaching to their children the majority of teachers aren't recommending teaching to their students so these are these are real um and we're seeing this other thing which is people are choosing to go teach and that is a really hopeful trend there's some great reasons to go teach you know both the that meaning that experience of the aha moment the spark when you connect with the student and something opens up for them i i remember very well a an advertisement for the new york city teaching fellows from maybe 20 years ago that was in the subways Uh, you remember your first grade teacher's name who will remember yours
0: Oh, that was the best I remember. I was a teacher at the time when it was published. And I remember being like, I was a first grade teacher at the time. And I remember feeling so connected to that, that experience, you know, my favorite part of teaching, like hearkening back to our conversation about belonging was creating a culture and community in the classroom where we felt like a family and we took care of each other and we used, helped each other's strengths flourish and helped our weaknesses, we supported one another in our weaknesses and having kids feel that about one another. You don't get that in any other job, not even in parenting. I don't have enough of a threshold of, of kids. Maybe I need to have a few more kids. I mean, my, my boys do look out for each other, but uh, yeah, I, I, that's the thing I miss the most, uh, curiosity, like building their curiosity about learning and having them care for one another as human beings, whether or not they liked the kid, how do you care for the community and how do you treat one? I loved building that. And when people ask me, Haley, do you miss being in the classroom? I say, I miss that. I miss that feeling. And teaching is so exceptional that you get to have such a profound impact. And they may remember your name, your name 30 years later. Mine was Miss Kleiman. And I ran into her in a deli 10 years ago and was bawling when I saw her because she had such a profound impact on my life.
1: Mine was Dorette Diamond in second grade. And here's my early teachers. My my grandmother was a um, like a religious school teacher an after school teacher. Um, and many years ago, she was walking with my brother, who's a professor, on the campus where he teaches, where he's like a known entity. And someone came running up behind them, and you know, like taps him. and turns around, thinking it would be a student. And the the, the person says, "Ruth, Ruth Elcott, is that you?" She had been his teacher like 20 years before, and you know she re- he recognized her and just wanted to tell her what, it, what an impact she had on him. She was a, across the country, a country away from where she had taught. And here was this little kid who had been once her student, who was now a young man, uh, an adult, finding her to say what a difference she had made.
0: You know, you're giving me an idea because I have stories like that too. I, I went on a site, a school visit to right before COVID hit. And I was with a colleague who was new to my organization and I was in the neighborhood where I had worked for a decade. And in every other block I ran into a family that I knew or a teacher or a security officer that was working in a new building. And it was like going home, like just being it was so nice. I feel like I should do an episode where people and like stitch together, people telling stories like that. Because, it, it, you know. I love that idea. Uh,
1: you know, I wrote a piece actually for Forbes back when the pandemic had started, just like going to the people on the front line of the vaccine work and asking them about a teacher who had put them on this path. Uh, we we once did a, a little video that was about teachers. And like his premise was that, you know, Albert Einstein was at some point Albert Einstein, but before that, he was like little Albie in a classroom somewhere, <laughs> you know, like, All of us have had people who have unlocked potential for us and have seen something in us. What is like, what is that like? And um, it's for most of us, it's a teacher or teachers if we're lucky and there's no other profession that can say that there's no one else. When you ask just that open-ended question of who, who made you, who you are, it is so often, if it's not a family member more than anyone else, it's a teacher.
0: Oh yeah. You know, uh, in my season one and season two of the podcast, I asked a question about uh, who's had like a profound impact in your life. That was like a question I standard asked, and I actually stopped asking it because every single person said a teacher and it often wove itself into the story of the question I now ask, which is how did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself? But it wasn't like profound insight because every single guest was like, I had this teacher and like, yes, that is important. And usually it came to be just like you told your story about important teachers in your lives, uh, in your own life. And so I, I think that that's so true. And now I have some work to do on this. It sounds really fun. You know, Talia, listening to you, I am so moved by the way you storytell and the stories that you're telling. Um, It is so clear the passion.